Peter's first letter, just uh, chapter 1 this morning, the whole chapter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius, uh, uh, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials these have come so that the uh, proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire uh, may result in praise glory and honor when jesus christ is revealed though you have not seen him you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear, for you do not know that it, it is not uh, for you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb without blemish, uh, blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Friends, it really is uh, fantastic to be here with you. Um, I count it a real privilege to be able to come and, and gather with uh, you this morning to get a little snapshot of life up here at Trinity Church, Mount Barker. Um, so thanks for having me and I hope it's uh, encouraging as we read this really wonderful part of God's Word together. Um, John uh, said basically, like, when you're coming up, feel free to pick your passage and your topic and uh, I said, surely, like, can we can... You know, what's, what would be helpful for you guys? Actually, what would be unhelpful is if I stand on that, so I'll move that. Um, and John said, well, you're the maturity pastor down there in Adelaide, uh, so maybe help us to think through 
maturity, growing in Christian maturity. And I said, well, okay, I'd love to do that. Um, we've spent a fair bit of time in 1 Peter recently, so that's something that I've been thinking through. And I've been really personally encouraged from this chapter that we've just read together. And it doesn't use the word maturity once, but it's saturated uh, with the ideas uh, of what God has done for us, what God is doing in us, what he promises us in the Lord Jesus. And so that's what we're going to spend our time thinking through. When I was a kid, uh, my dad's work required us to move around a bit. And for a few years, we moved around a lot. I had to fact check it with my old man just to make sure I got the, the details right because I thought, I'm sure I'm exaggerating. And in fact, he, he upped the numbers. I was underestimating. We had 12 houses in four years across nine towns in two countries. And we weren't even on the run from the police. <laughs> Mum and Dad had joined a mission organisation called Missionary Aviation Fellowship and they moved around for training and then initial placement in a series of different remote locations in Papua New Guinea and then the Northern Territory. And as a preschooler, this all felt pretty chaotic for me. Uh, everything seemed to be changing. Um, trying to make friends was challenging. Uh, even the climate kept changing from almost snowing in the middle of winter in Ballarat uh, to the highlands of Papua New Guinea. And yet there was one constant thing throughout it all. And that was my family. Mum and dad, my little sister. They were solid. They didn't change. And mum and dad said that, well, it will all settle down. And that gave me confidence that things would get better. Mum and dad said it would. And as their child, well, I had this deep confidence that they'd make sure of it somehow. And so as we dive into this uh, great chapter today, I wonder if you can relate to that sense of hope despite hardship. Perhaps you can relate to that kind of confidence that comes from a really trustworthy relationship, people that you know you can depend upon. Maybe you've actually felt the massively unsettling reality of relationships that prove unreliable and hopes that they've been shattered, leaving you feeling hurt and uncertain. I'm sure we can both relate to something of either of those. And 1 Peter chapter 1 speaks to us of a relationship that is totally secure, in which we find a hope that transforms life. Now, we're going to work through this whole chapter together. It's really rich and there's heaps to think about. Uh, and on the leaflet that you received at the door or in your chairs there, there's a little outline so you can see how we've broken this down into chunks as we work through it. And so let's have a look at verse 1 and 2 as we see a new identity given to us by the sovereign God. You see there that this letter is written to God's elect strangers, which sounds a bit odd. I don't know if any of you think of yourself that way, an elect stranger. In fact, what does that even mean? It sounds like we're reading someone else's mail and it's hard to connect it with us. So let's see who this is from and who it is to. Uh, that it's written from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Yeah, so not us at one level. What do we know about Peter, the apostle of Jesus, one of his closest friends, uh, one of the, the sort of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples who shared some really profound moments with the Lord Jesus. It was Peter who was the first one to recognise Jesus is God's King, the Messiah. And yet, even then, he was pretty confused about what that would mean. 
it's also Peter who, when Jesus was arrested, it was Peter who denied that he even, even knew him, didn't want to associate with him at all. And yet it was then Peter who, in the book of Acts, we read about standing with incredible courage, very publicly associating himself with the Lord Jesus. Here's someone who knew Jesus well, who knew what it was to suffer by association with him. And now he writes this letter to God's elect exiles. Let's just really briefly pause on that. Elect being those people who are chosen by God. That's a really, really wonderful reminder for us in a time when we so often think about how we work out our own identity. No, this is an identity given to us. God's initiative, reaching out, choosing people, drawing people to himself. And yet that word exiles, or as the old NIV put it, strangers. It kind of captures the idea of people who are in this world, but, but not of this world. We don't have a fixed address. We could actually, in our modern sort of idea, think, think as much of, of refugees as anything. People looking for home. And so even if we're wrestling with who this is written to, because, well, there's a whole bunch of people listed here. Um, we've, we've, got, we've got them living in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, and that doesn't sound very familiar to any of us. It certainly isn't Mount Barker. Yet we recognise that we share something. If we are a Christian person, then we too are elect exiles. It is helpful to know something really briefly about where they do live. I've got a map on the screen for you here. This is the zoomed-in version, and it's showing you that, well, we've got these places, Bithynia, Pontus, Asia, Galatia, Cappadocia, and you're like, that doesn't help much at all. So we're going to zoom out and put that on the modern map, uh, courtesy of Google, and it's right there in what we know as Turkey. And I've put a big red star on the, uh, Rome in Italy because that's where we're pretty confident that the Apostle Peter was sitting as he wrote this letter. And so at one level, it starts to feel a bit familiar. Oh, we know this part of the world on the map. And yet, I think it also helps us to feel like this is incredibly remote from us. This is 2,000 years ago on another part of the world that we actually don't even use the same names for on the, mo on the map today. So... How do we see this hitting home for us? Well, as much as might have changed, thanks, Hayda, we can take that down. We see in verse 2 what has remained entirely unchanging. Peter moves very quickly from who we are, or the people that he's writing to, to actually remember who God is. He's writing to God's uh, elect exiles. But he says in verse 2 that they are people who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. God, the Father, Son and Spirit, totally complete in their relationship of love. This is, this is one of the beautiful passages in the, in the Bible where we see the Trinity on view for us. It's not just a cool tagline for Trinity Church Mount Barker. Because this is the God that has revealed Himself in His Word. The Father whose purposes you've just been reflecting on from Ephesians, I gather, you know, from before time, has been working for the glory of His Son. And He does that through the work of the Holy Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's the one that gets into us, who sets us apart for God's purposes and then gets into doing His work in changing us. So that we would, at the end of verse 2 there, be obedient to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
sprinkled with his blood. That in itself, a wonderful description of who Jesus is as both Lord and Saviour. We need to obey him as Lord. We need to submit to him and receive his saving work as we've celebrated in communion, to be sprinkled with his blood. In one pithy verse, Peter reminds us of the God who is a perfect family, Father, Son, Spirit, in a relationship of perfect love and totally united in their purpose. And what a privilege it is to be included in that purpose, that we would be elect exiles, chosen by God. And in some ways, that's a beautiful summary of what it is to be Christian. It's to say that we are simply people who have been chosen by God, living in this world but not defined by this world, rather defined by our relationship with Him and included in that perfect family. But what difference does this new identity really make? Well, that's where Peter turns in verse 3 as he helps us to see a new hope that transcends hardship. You see, being brought into this family of God totally transforms our perspective on this life and life after this life. Reading verse 3 again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You see that family language coming through. We're given new birth because none of us are naturally members of this family. None of us can get ourselves into it. We all need to be born again, given a new life as part of the family of God. Now, if you've enjoyed a great earthly family with a loving mum and dad and lots of really fond memories, you need to appreciate that actually this family is so much better. If you've enjoyed a really tough, difficult earthly family experience, please see how how this contrasts so vividly with what God is describing. In fact, if you're not yet a Christian, not yet a part of this family, it's an invitation for you to join it, to see that there is a radical shift from the old life to new life with Jesus. And it's actually a life that is characterised by hope, a living hope, Peter says, just the sort of the, the wishful thinking, the uh, strong desire, gee, I really hope that next year we'll be able to buy a new car or whatever it might be that we get caught up with. Now, a, a living hope, Peter helps us to see that's, that's a living relationship. It's not just an idea. It's a relationship that totally transforms life for us now. But to use another family uh, term there, he, he talks about it as an inheritance. Who receives the inheritance? The kids do. And we're included in this family, receiving the riches of all of God's estate. Now, contrasting that to my kids, they don't have a whole lot to look forward to in that regard. But God, He owns the universe. And He includes us in the riches of all that He has. Now, we know how important hope is. And I think COVID this year has really shown us that, hasn't it? Just think back over over the last six months or so and the various layers of hope, so many of which just seemed like kind of wishful thinking. 
oh, it's, 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 it's started in the news out there in the world. I hope it doesn't come to us. Well, I hope the second wave doesn't hit. hope none of those Victorians come over here. Gee, I hope we'll find a vaccine. I think we're still there, aren't we? hope the economy will recover. hope life will return to normal at some point. Without hope, life feels desperate. That might be part of your experience at the moment. It might be that you know people around you who are really struggling at the moment and quite anxious, grasping for hope. Perhaps hoping, like the federal government, as they put down their uh, budget just last week, hoping, basing their calculations on the hope that next year we'll find a vaccine and things will return to normal. Isn't it good to to know that God knows? But isn't it also good to see here that this hope that Peter describes for us, it isn't one that's just based on best guess calculations. It's not just a wishful thought. It's something that is ground in the historical events of our Lord Jesus, in his resurrection from the dead. That happened, and so we can be confident in the hope that we have that flows from it. And this is also a hope that's not threatened by hardship, but actually strengthened by it. You see in verse 6, as we read on there, that it's actually a hope that allows a joy in the face of suffering. In this, in this hope that Peter's just described, verse 6, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. If we were to read through the letter of 1 Peter, we'd see lots of different ways that these people are suffering. Uh, that they were facing hardship of various kinds, but especially persecution for being associated with Jesus as Christians, a persecution that Peter knew really well. He'd been imprisoned, he'd been flogged, he'd been told to shut up and stop speaking, and yet he kept speaking. He knows and he encourages us in the hope that isn't threatened by hardship, but is actually strengthened by it. Because as we read in verse 7, hardship helps us to see that our faith is not just a desire for present comfort, but it's fundamentally about that relationship with God. And as we face challenges, and as we turn to Christ, we're reminded of how reliable, how gracious, how kind He is. And that's why Peter points out just how privileged we are to know Jesus In verse 10 to 12, that's the next little section there, as we see the amazing privilege of knowing Jesus. Now, I want to read these uh, couple of verses again for you, but I want to plant an image in your mind, because Paul, uh, sorry, Peter here refers back to the prophets. And in a few verses' time, towards the end of the chapter, he, he quotes the prophet Isaiah. Some of you will know that Isaiah wrote one of the longest books in the Bible after the Psalms. It is the biggest. It's, it's huge, right there in the middle of the Old Testament. It's really rich, it's got so many vivid images and as Christians we know that it points forward to Jesus in so many wonderful ways. But I want you to imagine the prophet Isaiah, he's got his little quill and ink and he's scratching out his 66 chapters of prophecy, he's he's talking about God's judgment that's about to come on his people, he's he's talking about the hardship that they'll face, he's anticipating that God's going to send a a mighty rescuer king who will actually be a servant, who will suffer. He's thinking about how the whole of the heavens and the earth are going to be transformed. Creation will be made new. The lion will rest with the lamb. 
nations will put away their swords and their fighting. And he finishes it up and he thinks, God, I am, I'm really looking forward to seeing how you're going to bring this together. Let me read with you from verse 10 to 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. What a great privilege to know Jesus. As the prophet Isaiah was given a vision from God of what God would do in the world and, and, and the wonderful layers of how that would play out over history. And Isaiah was left scratching his head thinking, some of this makes sense. You've spoken to me of kind of things that are happening in his day of, of local empires and words for the king. Some of that he could see how it connected to his time and place, but so much of it, it remained kind of abstract, a bit hard to pin down. And yet we see Jesus. Now, I think that's a great plug for us to dig deep into the Old Testament because not only does Jesus help us to understand Isaiah, but Wow, if you spend any time in Isaiah, you work out really quickly just how wonderfully God helps us to understand Jesus more fully, to appreciate Him more fully as we unpack the riches of the Old Testament. But as Peter was saying, like even the angels right there around the throne of God, who, who they've got the front row seat to see what God is doing, they were longing to see it play out in history. And we have the incredible privilege of knowing how that has played out. Looking back on Jesus' death and resurrection for us, grounding us in the secure hope that what Isaiah said was yet to come, we can be confident will come. Now you might be thinking at this point, okay, we've got to be well over halfway through here. Simon's been yakking on for a while. You've given us a bit of ancient history about modern Turkey, some obscure theology about the Trinity, and a plug for reading the Old Testament. But is that, is that all that's going on here? How does this actually impact the way that we live? Well, that's actually exactly where Peter turns in verses 13 to 22. And he carries on that idea of being part of the family of God, living as children of our Heavenly Father. In verse 14, he says, we to live as obedient children. In verse 16, we need to grow to become more like our loving Heavenly Father. It's like... My, fa my wife and I, with, with our children, we, we want to help our children to grow in their character. And one of the ways we do that is we keep saying to them, well, this is how we do it in our family. Or at times, that's not how we do it in our family. You know, you might, you might see lots of other kids at kindy doing it that way, Jay, but, but not in this family. You might hear other people speaking that way in the playground, Annie, but, but not in our family. In our family, this is how we behave. And so, as Peter sums up in verse 22, as obedient children, growing to be more like our loving Heavenly Father, we love one another deeply from the heart. And if we were to read over, and I'd really encourage you to do that this afternoon, read over this chapter, 
you'll see how many different ways that will make us stand out from the other kids in the playground. That's challenging enough for children who want to fit in. But I think those of us who don't go to playgrounds very often anymore, we know that it's even more challenging for us in the workplace, in the lecture theatre, in the footy club, wherever it might be. We don't really like going against the flow, bucking against the trend, standing out as different. And yet, this is God's call for us. That being born into his family, that shaping our identity, we're called to live as members of the family. And so you'd want to know that the hope that you have, the relationship that you have with your Heavenly Father, it is, it's rock solid. It's absolutely dependable. If you're going to lose friends over it, if people are going to think you're on the outer because of it, you'd want to know that your hope in Him is founded on something secure. And I think that's why Peter highlights that as he closes this chapter. That he says that that new life that we are given, the new life that we're called to, that is grounded on the enduring word of God. It's not wishful thinking. It's not dependent on us. It's not like the housing market that threatens to crash because of the drop in, in migration, as the media keeps telling us. It's not like the job market that's dried up with the lockdown. It's not like the federal budget that's hoping that we come out and things pick up because someone needs to start paying the tax. Now, this hope is grounded in God himself. And right here in verse 24 and 25, Peter quotes from that prophet Isaiah. And he quotes from chapter 40 of Isaiah, which is pretty significant because by that point, Isaiah has given God's people the message of God's great judgment on them. They're going to experience a military defeat and be taken off into exile, thousands of them killed and the, the remainder of them uprooted and taken across the other side of the known world. And yet in Isaiah 40, God gives his remarkable promise of, of mercy and rescue, of restoration and salvation, comfort for his people. And right at the heart of that comfort was God's promise that he himself would come and be with his people. Not just another human king. They had generations of dropkick kings. <laughs> and then occasionally a good one who would restore peace, bring his people back to God, but then only to kick the bucket and, and, and leave his people languishing again. No, God himself would come, eternal, all-powerful, totally faithful. He promised that he would come and he would save. And when he gives his word, you know he will keep it. That promise that God would be with his people that promise that Isaiah spoke, but he never quite understood how it would be fulfilled. Well, that's the same promise that's been proclaimed to us in the good news of Jesus. That he is God. He has come to be with his people, full of mercy and power, saving and restoring. Now, did you notice back in verse 3 and 4, we praise God for a living hope and an inheritance that would endure forever. And here at the end of the chapter, we're reminded that all, all of this relies on something else that is living and enduring, God's Word. The Bible isn't just 
interesting stories, characters that we either need to emulate or try not to be like. Now, it's fundamentally God's promises. And it is enduring. It's as vibrant and life-giving for us now as it was 2,000 years ago when Peter wrote to a bunch of people from obscure places that we hadn't even heard of, that on the map, as we saw, that it's all been relabeled. Now, this isn't just ancient history collecting dust, fading away with the passage of time. God's promises are as solid and enduring today as they've always been. So if coronavirus has shown us anything, it's shown us just how fragile we are. Like the grass that withers, the flowers that fade and, and fall, hair that drops out. Coronavirus has shown us what it's like to take so many of the things that we take for granted and tip them upside down, put them under pressure, and that's not even a global conflict. How fragile we are. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And that is where we can place our hope and know that it is secure. So three very simple points of application. Uh, They're up on the screen just to help sort of imprint it in our minds. First, I want to encourage you daily to reflect on God's enduring word. We have so many things that bombard us, telling us where our identity is, where our hope should be, the things that we should pursue and desire and hope for, save for, work for. Reflect daily on God's enduring word, reminding yourself daily who you are as a child of God. An elect exile in this world, but not defined by this world because you're defined by your relationship with your loving Heavenly Father. Included in this perfect family of love. Growing to live like your father and your big brother. Point two, don't just do that on your own, but meet regularly to discuss God's enduring word. We are great at self-deception. Open up the Bible myself, read something. Oh, yeah, I got that. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing okay at that. Walk away, forget about it. I need people who are bouncing off me, who are saying, Simon, what's going on here? Oh, yeah, didn't quite get that as well as I thought I did. How are we working that out? Oh, yeah. Need to reflect some more on that. Need to think some more on that. Meet regularly to discuss God's enduring word. Get together in a small group. I mean, it's my job, right? I have to give the plug. I'm the maturity pastor. But I'm, I'm delighted to serve as the maturity pastor at Trinity Church Adelaide because I have the great privilege of seeing hundreds of people across our church community that get together week in, week out, and over breakfast, after dinner, with a women's group in the morning, with someone else looking after the kids so that a young mum can have a moment of adult discussion and clear thinking to reflect on God's enduring word. You've got a great list on the back of your leaflet there, uh, letting you know about a few people that are, that are already doing that in your community. And gee, wouldn't it be great to see that list grow so that it doesn't even fit on the back of the leaflet? And then thirdly, I want to encourage you to keep gathering each Sunday, like you do here, 
to celebrate and to share this enduring word. To celebrate it as we've done in the Lord's Supper today. Just to give God thanks. Isn't it great to be singing again? Just to give God thanks. To celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus. But also this is the context where, where, where as a community you can share it. If you're here as a visitor today, gee, it's brilliant that you are here because you've had the opportunity not only to hear a message of eternal significance, but actually to rub shoulders with a bunch of people who are living life in light of it. And so if that's your situation, we're, we're, we're stoked that you're here. And we'd love to invite you to invite your friends because we think this is news worth sharing. Because this is the living and enduring Word of God. In a world where so much seems uncertain, where we find ourselves chasing after all kinds of hopes and desires and dreams, we are reminded here that the one sure thing that we can cling to is the hope that we have in Jesus. That we are members of His family. Come what may. For all eternity. And that's a promise that changes everything. So let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we praise you that in your great mercy you have given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade, that it is kept secure in the most secure bank. It's kept in heaven with you, under your authority. Loving Father, thank you that even if we might face various grief in all kinds of trials in this life, we can greatly rejoice because through these trials, the things that challenge us, we see how you are pointing us to what is truly certain. You're reminding us of where we can place our hope in the Lord Jesus in his reign, in his mercy. And so we pray that you would help us to continue to find our hope in him and knowing who we are as your children, members of your family. Help us to live in light of that hope. Help us to speak of that hope. Help us to work to spread that hope. Father, in the simple things of life, Keep us grounded in your word that we might hear your voice regularly, that we might crowd out the other, the other messages of what is sure and certain and we might keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen.